0: Welcome to Harrison Church. Join us for our annual trunk retreat on Saturday, October 28th from 5 to 7 p.m. We will have music, food, and lots of fun. If you're interested in hosting a trunk, please email kelly at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Micah, the sixth chapter beginning with verse 1. Please stand as you are able for the reading of our scripture. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And you may know the savings acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with cows a year old? Will, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn of, for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has, he has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, guys. Good job. All right. Good accent, too. You can just hear the Lord pleading with his people. Okay, so uh, we are continuing. For those of you who are visiting with us and those who have been with us, we're continuing our little journey through the minor prophets of the Old Testament. We only got really one more to go. That'll be next Sunday. I hope that you have learned a few things. Um, I'll tell you, I've been reading each of these books in their entirety for the last 4 weeks that we've been studying the minor prophets and there's one thing that's becoming so clear to me and it's that the minor prophets really did not spend a lot of time talking about religion they didn't spend a lot of time talking about spirituality or doctrine or the end of the world these are stereotypes if you read the minor prophets you know what they spend most of their time talking about they talk about economics and like what a just society for God's people looks like and You know, Colby Colby and Gabriel just read probably one of the most famous passages in all the prophetic literature, Micah chapter 6. And, you know, before I get into breaking all this down, I do want to kind of put Micah in context because what Micah is doing, if you read his prophecy, is that he's really been preaching at what Micah calls, I think in the third chapter, the heads of Israel, the leaders of Israel, the kings, uh, the royal officials, the princes, priests, clergy like me. Uh, what we would kind of call the elites. And uh, one of the things that Micah believed is that the people who lead us set the tone for the rest of us. They just set the tone. There's a great expression that uh, I love. It says this, that if the head, like the leadership, if the head is sick, so will the body be sick. But if the head is well, the body will be well. So there's this interrelationship, and Micah knows this. And so Micah's been denouncing what the leadership of Israel has been condoning for a long time. Now, I'm going to be giving you some scriptures before we get into chapter 6 that I want to share these with you to kind of give you the context of what Micah's been railing against. Now, I think we're going to put some of these here. In Micah chapter 2, for instance, this is what Micah says about what the elites, the leadership of Israel is doing. They covet fields, they're greedy for fields, and they seize them. They're greedy for houses, and they take them away, okay? So I actually looked up, what does this mean? What was the historical reference? And in the days of Israel, when Micah was preaching, there were a bunch of very wealthy landowners. What they did is they bought out small farmers. And uh, then those farmers became employees of these wealthy landowners. And what was happening in Israel at this time, when they were coming in and buying all these things up, is that there was a massive transfer of wealth. From the poorest people to the richest people. And of course, Micah was saying that that's condemned. God is not a fan of this kind of economy. Again, it's about economics. All right? That's one place in chapter two. In another place, Micah says this. He says, he questions the leadership. He says, Can God tolerate wicked scales and a bag of dishonest weights? Your wealthy are full of violence. And You research that, and what Micah was referring to in those days, and this kind of goes back to the prophet Amos, where there was what we would call price gouging happening. You you bought something with scales, and the scales were being tipped. And, of course, when you price gouge, who are you primarily hurting? You're hurting the poorest people when this is happening. So Micah is actually preaching against this. Again, economics. Isn't this fascinating? And then in another place, I want to share this with you. (laughs) He's talking about what the people of Israel, the kind of preaching that they preferred. This is wonderful. He says to the people, he says, If someone were to go about uttering empty falsehoods saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, such a one would be the preacher for this people. In other words, the kind of preaching that the people of Israel wanted was what we would call what? Prosperity preaching. Oh, yeah. Even though... Israel, in Micah's eyes, was just crumbling all around him. I think that's hilarious. One of these days, I'm going to say our lesson today is, I've come to preach to you about wine and strong drink. Yeah. So, so all these things were, were happening in the nation of Israel. And so then we get to what Colby and Gabriel read in chapter 6, and Micah sets this scene. Oh, did I, for, I forget what? We'll come back to that in just a minute, uh, Tim. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. So in, in chapter 6, Micah envisions God going to court. And guess who he's putting on trial? The people of Israel. It's like God is the prosecuting attorney. And then the Lord summons the mountains to jury duty. You will be witnesses. And then God God says to the people of Israel, like, what have I done to you? Like, answer me. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I sent before you leaders like Moses and Miriam and Aaron What have have you done? And then then Micah imagines the people of Israel responding. They're on the the witness stand. You know, God Perry Mason, and here they are on the witness stand. And and the people of Israel say, well, what do you want from us? Uh, Maybe you want some burnt offerings. Maybe you want uh, thousands of rams sacrificed in your name. Or how about rivers of oil that we could pour all over the altar to show our love for you? Or they even go to say this. Would you, would, do you want us, O oh Lord, to sacrifice even our firstborn children to you? And you think about Abraham and Isaac, for instance. Is that what you want to do? And, and then in the courthouse, you hear this voice. I don't know if it's God speaking. I don't know if it's Micah speaking. It doesn't say, but you hear this voice and says, it says this. It says, Lord, The Lord has shown you, O oh mortal, he has told you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. To love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Awesome passage, especially verse 8. Um, there's a member of this church here. Uh, his name is Charles Byrne. He does not attend this service, he goes to the other service at 11 o'clock. But if you know Charles Byrne, and I've known him for almost four years now, you know. That for him, Micah six eight, that last verse. What does the Lord require of you? You know that that's the driving scripture of his life. And so I knew this when I first got here at Harrison. He was like Micah six eight, Micah six eight. When are you going to preach on Micah six eight? Well, I called him this week. I said I'm preaching on Micah six eight. And so what I asked him, I said, Hey Charles, I'm I'm really curious, and I really was. I said, Charles, you've always quoted Micah six eight to me: justice, kindness, humbly, humility. I said, What is it about that verse that really? drives you and I loved what he said he says Shane I love it because it is so simple a child can get it there's an interesting not children's Sabbath he says it's so simple and yet it's so deep it's like you know you, you just do these things and you, you got it you know if you've, you've done it if you can do these things so simple but yet so deep and then we both kind of told this joke to each other you know that question that's asked or what does the Lord require of you? And we both agreed that if we were to answer that question ourselves, like what does the Lord require of us, we would not put just those three things. If it were up to us, we would put dozens of things, wouldn't we? We would say, Oh, what does the Lord require of you? Oh, you gotta pray this prayer and you gotta say this, and you gotta wear this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta sign up for this, and you gotta woofo form you gotta complete, and you know, on and on and on and on and on, all these requirements. And yet Charles and I were both just astounded that it's so simple that 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 God only requires three things that's it, justice, kindness, humility, we can do that, and that's all that the God requires. I do love how uh, what Micah says, he says that the Lord has told you, some translations it says, the Lord has shown you what is good, I love that, I'll tell you why. You know, as a pastor, I, I meet with a lot of people. It's one of my delights. It's a privilege. And as a pastor, one of the questions people often ask me is, hey, um, how can I find God's will for my life? Like, what, what does God want me to do? And, and the premise is that we think of God's will often as this riddle all right, it's just like a scavenger hunt. You got a map or you got to look at the stars. Anybody see the meteors last night? You got these stars. You got, to, oh, there's a message and we got to decode what the message is so we can figure out what God's will is. And, and, and yet what I try to tell people as I'm explaining to you now, it's not a riddle. Finding God's will for your life is not hard. God has already told us what his will is. We have the commandments. We have the Holy Scriptures, we have the church, we have the words of Jesus, we have the sacraments. And and what I tell people, and and maybe this will be helpful for some of you, I said, you know, if, if, if you can just focus your life on doing what God has already revealed, finding the will of God for your life will come out of that. If you just try to obey the commandments... God's will for your life will come out of that. So I tell people, you know, you're a plumber or a stay-at-home mom. I mean, these people can do justice. A plumber can love kindness. A stay-at-home mom can love kindness. And so what I want to say is that this is not a riddle, folks. I mean, do justice whoever you are and wherever you are, whatever job you have. Love kindness whoever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever job that you have, and I will promise you. You will find out what God's will is for your life. It's not a riddle. Focus on the things he's already told us, and you'll get the big stuff. Does that make sense? Okay. It's not a riddle. He's already told you. (laughs) Already told you. Okay. Um, I want to kind of go through each one of these. I don't have a lot of time today, but I thought it would be helpful to kind of walk through each of the things, these simple things that the Lord requires. And the first one is do justice. Do justice. Now, uh, the word that uh, Micah uses here is um, the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. Can you say mishpat with me? Mishpat, kind of like mashed pots. Mishpat, mnemonic device. Children love this kind of stuff. Mashpot, pot. Mishpat. Now, uh, if you've been with us, you know that all the minor prophets—you can't get away from it—they care about justice, and uh, of course, Micah in his book is caring about what's happening to the justice system of his time. Now, Tim, you can cue up that next verse. Now, he says this in chapter 7, verse 3. This is what Micah says is going on, the justice system. He says that the officials and the judges ask for a bribe, and the powerful dictate what they desire. Thus, they pervert justice. Isn't it amazing how this can resonate with us, right? So, what's going on Is that what what Micah is saying? Is that there is justice in Israel at this time, but some people get more justice than others. Now, you know, for just an experience, that it's often the people who can afford legal counsel, they usually have better outcomes. That's not controversial. You agree? They usually have better outcomes than those who can't afford it. And see, and what Micah is reminding Israel is that the law of Moses is supposed to have been applied impartially for everyone. But what's happening is that we see a system where the elites are tilting the scales in their favor. And the little guy, little lady, does not have justice really at all. It's actually been perverted. Now, mishpat, this is important. Mishpat justice means more in ancient Israel and what Micah's talking about then. You know, you get your due and then I get what is due. It doesn't mean just that, although it does mean that everybody gets what is fair. Mishpat justice, whenever you see this word, it always has this compassionate bend. It's a compassionate kind of justice. Uh, one of my favorite teachers put it like this, that Mishpat justice happens, quote, when everyone is cared for. Mishpat justice happens when everybody, everybody has what they need. Now, this is interesting. We usually like to think of justice as being blind. You ever heard of that? You know, the one with the scales, blind justice? Well, yes, justice is blind, but in the Bible, believe it or not, justice is not all the way blind. You know, we think of God as being very impartial. He doesn't have favorites. He loves everybody equally. That's true. You find that in the text. But you also find throughout the Old Testament other verses where God is actually partial. He is actually looking out for certain groups of people. I don't know if I gave you this scripture, Tim. I don't know if we have another one. But it's in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Oh, it is. It's good. Is it? It's good. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18. Now, you find this verse throughout the Old Testament what we call the Torah. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribes, unlike the judges going on in Israel. See? Who executes justice, and here's the group, for the orphan and the widow and who loves the strangers. You could actually interpret that word. He loves the immigrants, the foreigners, providing them food and clothing. So you see what's going on here? It's like God is is, is impartial, but he's actually partial. And he's partial to these groups of people who in ancient Israel were literally the most vulnerable people. They were abused. They were scapegoated. They were left behind. So Mishpat justice that Micah is talking about is living in such a way that people like this have what they need that everyone is cared for, and that's what they were called to be. There was one other thing I wanted to mention before I, um, I moved on, but yes, okay. The reason for this is that in the Old Testament, something radical came into be that was not really understood in the ancient world, and it, we still wrestle with it today. The Bible, the Old Testament, was the first group of books to ever promote this idea that you and I do not own anything. In the ancient world, if you owned land, it was yours. What you had was yours. But the Torah of Judaism was the first to say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, guess who owns it? God owns it. That means everything you have in excess or in surplus belongs to whom? It belongs to the people who need it. It's one of the things that you'll find throughout the Old Testament. And see, Micah's remembering this. If you were a farmer, for instance, and it was harvest time, say it was time to harvest the pumpkins, you were forbidden. You were not allowed to take every single pumpkin. You had to leave a good number of your pumpkins. For whom? The poor, the hungry. Why? Because what you have in abundance in the Old Testament belongs to the widow, the orphan, the immigrants, the most vulnerable among us. So that's what... Micah is referring to so when you see Micah saying do justice what he's really saying is share (laughs) share that's God's justice God's justice happens not it happens when we are radically generous with other people and the thing that you can do is that you can ask yourself right now is there anybody in your circle of friendships in your neighborhood is there anybody you know or have gotten wind of that, that doesn't have everything they need? Do you know of anybody? And, and what Micah says is, can you look out for them? Can you offer something that you have to them? We're not talking about, well, let's, it's not just government policy. This is like, you can do this. You yourself can ask, who, who's hurting ar- around me? Who needs something that is doing justice? It's compassion making sure that everybody has what they need. Okay, that's justice, mishpat. Then he says again, do mishpat, then love kindness. Notice God does not say be kind. He says, I want you to love kindness. Love it. God requires us to love kindness. Now, there's a lot of people who say that the word kindness that you may find in your Bible is really watered down. I mean, it doesn't even do justice. I've told you about one Hebrew word, mishpat. The word that Micah uses here is love, hesed. Can you say hesed with me? Hesed, like he said, but hesed. Hesed meant more than just kindness. It was like kindness to the 10th power or to the 100th power. Hesed was this overflowing disposition of mercy, and it was a kind of mercy that never kept score. It's like those who exercised hesed, they they never worried about who's deserving and who's undeserving. They were just overflowing with mercy and forgiveness for everybody. It's one of the reasons why the ancient Jewish uh, commentators say that whenever you and I can learn to exercise chesed, this radical kind of overflowing mercy, we are in that moment just like God himself. Because God was the first one in the Bible to exercise chesed. If you go to the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they've sinned against the Lord. They deserve justice. Oh, they deserve punishment. And there were consequences. But what did God do to Adam and Eve after they had sinned against them and they realized that they were naked? What did God do? You remember. He made clothes for them and clothed them. And the sages said, that is Hesed. Even those who don't necessarily deserve the mercy get the mercy. And, and whenever we are practitioners of Hesed, we are more and more like God. I, uh, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon, and uh, one of the things I talked about in the sermon was almsgiving. Some of you were here for that. Almsgiving. And almsgiving is this ancient tradition that goes back a long time where you give money, you give food, you try to help somebody who's poor or maybe a beggar. And I got a report to you. I actually heard from a couple of families. They called me up that week, and they said they did this. And he said, well, we were up, one family said they were uptown. children were with them. Uh, Another family says we just happened to run into somebody. And and they both said that, you know what, we kind of let go of this. Who deserves it and who's not deserving? We just decided to just give and try to bless these people. And and I said, well, what, what was that like? And they said it was fantastic. It was wonderful. That's hesed. That's hesed. Hesed looks like that, and we are called to love hesed. You and I, we're we're actually to love any opportunity that presents itself where we can bless someone in a radical kind of undeserving way. That's what it looks like. Mercy. I'm getting ready to move on. I, I do want to tell you. One of my favorite definitions of mercy someone once described mercy as this that merciful people, Hesed kinds of people, these are people who have an irresistible love for people who are shamed in their society. Hesed kinds of people are those who love to protect those people who are shamed in their society. Let me ask you this. Can you think of, right off the top of your head, anybody in our society who are shamed? Can you think of anybody? Just to yourself. Now, let me ask you. (laughs) See, we're we're just going to love on this child. But let me ask you a serious question. Are you someone that rushes to protect those who are shamed? That's hesitant. You know, Jesus himself, we know that he loved Hesed. Why? Because he ate with sinners, it says. He ate with prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors. These were the people in Jesus' day who were shamed in their society. And the one thing that the Hesed kinds of people don't care about is their reputation. And so Jesus rushed to protect those people who were shamed, and it cost him his reputation. But he didn't care. And we're called to love that. Are you someone that rushes to protect people who are shamed? That's Hesed. That's what Hesed looks. Do mishpat. Love Hesed, And then the last thing, walk humbly with your God. Now, I don't have a lot of time. I, I do want to just say this, and the idea for what I'm getting ready to say comes from one of my favorite uh, theologians, Walter Bruggeman. And he says that there's a big difference between walking humbly with God and strutting with God. Was it it George Jefferson? Was that right? Strutting. And he goes on, he says, you know, strutters with God. Here's what a strutter with God looks like. Or like that old SNL skit, you know? (laughs) Strutters with God think they got God sized up. Strutters with God think they already know what God's will is on everything. Strutters with God, they know how to interpret the Bible. Strutters with God, they, they are always right. But God can't use a strutter. What God wants is the walkers who are humble and see the difference between a strutter and someone who walks humbly with God is that it's active. You're walking with God. But the humble, the humble never think they got God sized up. The humble want to grow. The humble want to be taught new things. They want to go to new places. You think about it. You're walking humbly with God. That means that if God's going somewhere, guess where you're going? You're going with him. And if you walk humbly with God, you may end up in a place where you did not want to be. But if you're strutting, God cannot use that. He can't take you anywhere. You're too focused on yourself. You know so much. The New Testament says that we are called to walk as Jesus walked. That's in First John. And what that means is that if you're a walker with Jesus, you're looking like Jesus. You're living like Jesus. We talked about this way back in the, in the spring. But if you're a strutter, man, we do not need any more strutting Christians in this society. We've got enough arrogance. I love what Pastor Kyle said in his, sermon, uh, his prayer, the, the arrogance of our certainty. God cannot use the strutters. He uses the humble. That's it. It is that simple. Do mishpot. Care for the people who are hurting today. How can you do that in your circle of friendship? Love Hesed, Love those opportunities where you can just lavish somebody with some mercy and bless them and don't strut. Ask God to show you new things every day. A child can do this. We can do this. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, We so badly want to make complex what you have made so simple. Left to ourselves, we would require hundreds of things, and we would say it in your name. But you just want three things justice, kindness, humility. I pray that each person here in this room will ask themselves every day Lord, who are the people around me I could bless today? I'm not going to think of your will as some riddle. This is something I can do at my job. This is something I can do at school. But help me see people who are in need and help me bless them and show them mercy. I want to walk with you. Lead me, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Follow us on Facebook for up-to-date information about news, events, and ways to get involved at Harrison Church. You can also visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.